So our uh, scripture reading this afternoon is from Genesis chapter 1, page 1 in your Bible if you need that help. And uh, we're going to be reading chapter 1 verse 24 through to chapter 2 verse 3. Genesis 1 verse 24. And God said... Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Amen. My friends, one of the... uh, One of the most fundamental questions of life, of philosophy, and in fact of every thinking person, is the simple question, who am I? I mean, here we sit, creatures on this earth, living, breathing, and busy with so many things, but but what's it all about? What's the point of it all? What's it achieve in the end? One of the biggest questions is that of identity. Why am I here? Why do I matter? Who really am I? You know, for thousands of years, the answer was found in things supernatural, spiritual and divine. While there was diversity of thought, there was yet a general consensus that there's something greater than ourselves that there's more to our existence than just the physical and the visible, and that death is not the end. And so these things, for many years, shaped mankind's understanding of their identity. 
But as the human race became more advanced, or so we thought, we began to do away with such primitive ideas. It began with a Greek philosopher by the name of Anaximander of Miletus, who lived in around 500 BC. It seems that he was the very first to speculate that humans actually descended from some other creature. He said, probably from fish. These kinds of speculations became eventually more popular with Charles Darwin in the 19th century when he published his revolutionary work, The Origin of the Species. His ideas gave birth to the theory of evolution and a whole set of beliefs about the existence of the universe and everything that is in it. Central to these new beliefs was the view that there is no supernatural and no divine and no spiritual. And over time, these ideas have increasingly been accepted to the point where the theories are now considered to be facts and are widely touted as the true explanation for our existence on this earth. But of course, this new way of thinking has very serious implications. If humanity, and in fact the entire universe, is simply the product of the most unlikely set of cosmic accidents and coincidences, well, well then where does that leave us? We no longer have any inherent purpose or significance. We just come into this world by chance, spend a few years here of pointless activity and struggle, and then we disappear, rotting in the ground. It all seems rather meaningless, futile, and depressing. As a result of this, we, the human race, have been forced to seek our own purpose in life, our own reason to exist, our own meaningful identity. And so many people, especially in the West, find that identity in their work and their career. If you say, tell me about yourself, many people will tell you about their occupation. I'm a plumber, a teacher, a doctor, as if that defines who we really are, giving us importance and value. Some find their purpose in relationships, family and parenthood. Some find it in their hobbies. I'm a golfer, a gardener, a gamer. Some find identity in the material treasures that they surround themselves with. The house, the technology, the toys in the garage. Increasingly, it seems that, that people are finding their identity in the causes that they support and live for. There's the environmentalist. There's the climate activist. There's the conspiracy theorist. There's even the terrorist. And in most recent times, we've seen more and more finding their identity in their sexual orientation and their gender. That's why such matters are so incredibly difficult to interact with in today's society. Because to do so isn't just to talk about what someone does, but it's to question the very basis of who they are. But as important as all these things can be, at the end of the day, 
In the big scheme of things, they're rather shallow, temporary and fragile. To seek your identity and your purpose in your work, your relationships, your hobbies, your possessions, in your cause or even in your sexuality, well, it will never satisfy your desire to know who you really are. And that's why in our supposedly enlightened society, we see increasing numbers of people slipping into futility and meaninglessness, depression and despair, addiction and escapism, and and ultimately into giving up on life itself in the most tragic and desperate ways. But my friends, that's exactly why we need to go back to God's word to find the real answer to this question of identity. And what we discover is that the Bible provides a completely different perspective and it provides it right from the very start in Genesis chapter 1. For there the Lord God Almighty tells us that it's he who created the heavens and the earth, The universe is not here by chance. It's not the result of some galactic explosion that somehow brought about order and design. This universe is here because God made it. He also tells us that it is he who created this planet, different to any other, with its land and its sea, its days and its seasons, its resources and its reserves. In fact, all things perfectly balanced to sustain life. And he tells us that it is he who gave life, filling this planet with plants and trees and vegetation, with birds and fish and animals of every kind. All of this did not evolve out of some impossible bacterial mutation that somehow developed into fully functioning flora and fauna and the amazing ecosystem that we see all around us. No, our powerful and our ingenious God made every plant and every creature according to their kind. But God also tells us that it's he who created us. Humanity did not crawl out of that primeval sludge, evolving from fish or apes or anything else. We're not just another one of his creatures either, on equal footing with the rest. But rather, God tells us that he made us specifically and intentionally as the very pinnacle of his entire creation, with a special place in his plan and with a unique relationship with himself. And the way that the Lord describes this is by revealing that, unlike anything else, humanity, he created in his own image and likeness. We and we alone are made in the image of God. And as you can imagine, this has enormous significance as we ponder this fundamental question of life. Who am I? 
And so what we want to do this afternoon is look at what the Bible teaches about the image of God. And we're going to do that in five stages. We're going to look at the image of God in the beginning. The image of God distorted. The image of God displayed. The image of God restored. And then the image of God perfected. And then at the end, we're going to consider what this amazing truth means for us today. So we begin with stage one, the image of God in the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, if you still have it open, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Friends, here is our primary text. God makes it abundantly clear that he made humanity to bear his image. But what does that mean? Well, it means, my friends, that we are like him. We are similar to him. We resemble him. We are not God. We are not identical to God. But yet somehow there are significant ways in which we are very much like God. So how can that be? Well, Genesis 1 makes it clear that one aspect of our godly image is that it distinguishes us from other creatures. And so unlike them, we have been given complex personalities and emotions and motivations. We're able to think and able, uh, able to reason and to make decisions. We're artistic. We're imaginative. We can solve problems. We have a concept of morality and of dignity and of spirituality. And most importantly of all, it means we're immortal beings. We have been created with a soul. Further to this, our image means that we have been made for relationship. Did you notice in verse 26, God says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Our triune God is relational within his very being. And in verse 27, it says, In the image of God, he created them, male and female. Essential to our image is that just like God, we too are relational beings. We're made to live in communion with him and with each other. In marriage, in family, in community and in church. Unlike any other creature, God created us with the ability to relate in love. These verses also reveal that as image bearers, we are called to rule over the rest of creation. It says, God made humanity in his image so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. In verse 28, God said, be fruitful and increase in number Fill the earth and subdue it. 
In Psalm 8 it says, You have made mankind a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet. This is God's world, but yet he has entrusted it to us and given us the authority and the ability to rule over it, to explore it, to care for it, to use it and to develop it. But finally, Genesis 1 also tells us that after his work of creation, that God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. This reminds us that at that point, the image of God in man was perfect, sinless, obedient, holy and pure. At that time, we truly resembled God in exactly the way that he intended. But that then leads us to to stage two, the image of God distorted. You see, I probably don't need to tell you, do I, that that perfection of Genesis chapter 1 did not last. In Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the world and humanity became corrupt and rebellious and as a result were cut off from God both now and for all eternity. But what impact did that have on the image of God in the people he had made? Well, first of all, we know that the image was not completely lost. In Genesis 5, after the fall, it says with ongoing significance, when God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. In Genesis chapter 9, it says, Whoever sheds human blood, by humans their blood will be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. And much later on in James chapter 3, it says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. These passages would make no sense if the image of God had been totally annihilated. But yet we know that it has been affected. How do we know that? Well, not because of any specific Bible passage, for there is no such verse. In fact, the three passages in Genesis that I've just read contain the only actual references to the image of God in the whole Old Testament. However, we know that the fall must have affected our image because the fall affected every part of our being. And this is testified throughout the events of the Old Testament. But on top of that, there are also multiple passages in the New Testament that speak about our image being fixed. And of course, that implies, if it is to be fixed, that it has been damaged in the first place. And so it's best for us to consider that the image of God in us has not been lost, but it's been distorted. We still resemble him in many respects, but yet our personalities and our thinking and our decision-making have become impaired. Our morality and our spirituality are diminished. Our relationships with God and with others have been corrupted. Our ability to love has been spoiled. Our ability to rule over creation has been perverted. 
Our perfect image bearing at the beginning is no more. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. For now we reach stage three, the image of God displayed. You see, my friends, many years later, a man appeared on this earth. A man who was different to every other, for he was completely without sin. That man was Jesus Christ. And do you know what the Bible says about him? In John chapter 14, Jesus himself said to his disciples, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul speaks of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In Colossians chapter 1, he says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation of his being. My friends, Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, displayed God's image perfectly. And there are two implications of that. First, this means that in Jesus, we see a perfect example of what it means to be made in God's image. He is everything we should have been had sin not entered the world. And so in him we see the right way to reflect the Father, to resemble him and represent him. In him we see perfect thinking, perfect morality, perfect relationships, perfect love. But the second implication is that in Jesus we can also be redeemed and conformed to the Father's likeness. And indeed, Jesus' own likeness once more. For the whole reason why Jesus came was to deal with this problem of sin. The whole reason Jesus came was to reverse the effects of the fall. The whole reason why Jesus came was to fix what had been broken, including the brokenness of God's image in us. And so that brings us to stage four, the image of God restored. You see, my friends, if we put our trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation, then we will be saved from our sin and made right with our God. But that's only the beginning. For we will also receive the promised Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, my friends, will not leave us unaffected. Listen to these verses. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says this, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're told to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And in Colossians chapter 3, it says, 
that we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Do you see? The image of God in us was distorted by the fall, but now it's being restored by Jesus Christ. It's not instant, nor is it complete, but rather it's a dynamic process that takes place by the power of the Holy Spirit throughout the entire life of the believer, you and me. And so we are being conformed and transformed, recreated and renewed in the image of the Lord. We're learning to live for him and to obey him and to serve him once more. Every part of our being is returning to what it was meant to be. We are growing in love for our God and for each other. But then there's still one last stage, and that is the image of God perfected. For while we are being progressively transformed in this life, the day is coming when that process will be complete. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, Just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, that is Adam, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man, which is Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, we're told that when Jesus returns, he will then transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, We know that when Christ appears, then we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. My friends, the day is coming when our Lord Jesus will come back. And on that day, he is going to make all things new. And when he does, he will also renew us completely and fully in the image of our God. And how glorious that is going to be. So to summarise, we've seen that in the beginning, God created humanity to bear his image. We were made to be like him, to resemble him and represent him on this earth. But that image was tragically distorted in the fall. But then Jesus appeared, the perfect image bearer, to restore what had been broken. And so now we are being progressively transformed back to God's likeness. And one day the restoration will be complete. But what does this all mean for us today? Well, we began tonight contemplating that most fundamental question, who am I? And we saw the futility of the world's answers, answers that leave people drowning in a sea of misery and despair. But my friends, we've also seen that the Lord gives us a far better answer. For he's told us in his word that he is the one who made us. And he made us in his glorious image. And this has implications, my friends, for how we see ourselves. You see, to put it very simply, the Lord does not make junk. You're his special creation. You have dignity and significance and worth. No matter who you are. You have purpose and meaning in your life. 
And none of this depends upon being successful according to the world's standards. You are a child of God, and he loves you more than you will ever comprehend. He even gave his own son the ultimate sacrifice for your salvation. And now you can know his grace and his blessings in your life every single day. But this also has implications for how we see other people. You see, my friends, there is not a person upon this earth who does not bear the image of their creator. And so we, we must uphold the sanctity and the respect and the worth of all human life. This should motivate us to stand up against murder and abortion and euthanasia. This should motivate us to take action on poverty and slavery and abuse. This should motivate us to fight classism and sexism and racism. This should motivate us to help the sick and the disabled and the homeless and the refugee. My friends, this should motivate us to, to love and care for every person in this church, no matter who they are, valuing them as an important and vital part of our family. And it should motivate us to love and care for every person in our lives, in our community. And the ultimate expression of this is sharing the good news of Jesus. For my friends, if every person bears God's image, then surely we will long to see every person reconciled to him. Friends, humanity is not the product of chance and our existence is not meaningless. We are image bearers of the creator. That's who we are. That's our identity. And that's what gives us purpose, significance, and worth. We are children of God, precious in his sight, and called to glorify his name. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we recognize that the world around us has turned its back on you. And Father, we recognize that the world around us has put incredible effort into finding, a, finding answers to these big questions of life that do not include you. But Lord, we also recognise that the world is sinking into despair. For Father, we realise that there is no hope without you. And so Lord, we ask that you would help us as your people to better understand what it means to be made in your image. Father, we thank you for revealing this to us. Help us to wrestle with what that means in our lives. Lord, help us to understand that while that image was distorted at the time of the fall, that Jesus has come to make all things new. Father, help us to strive to be renewed in your image. Lord, to love and to serve and to obey as you call us to. Lord, please work in us by your Holy Spirit that these things might indeed be seen in our lives. And Father, we pray, help us to look forward to that day when we will indeed be totally renewed and that we will be like you. 
Lord, we thank you for these glorious truths of your word and we pray, please help us to apply them in our own lives. Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that does not feel that they are worth anything, Father, we pray that you will help them to see that they are worth everything in your eyes because you made them, you created them in your image. You even gave your own son for their salvation. And Father, we pray, please help us also to apply these things to the world around us. Lord, help us not to devalue human life as the world does so rapidly. Lord, help us to stand up for every human person, every human life, every person on this earth, whoever they may be. Lord, let us not fall into any of these things that says some are more worthy than others. For Lord, we know that all are worthy in your sight. Father, we pray, please help us to know these things and to apply them in our lives. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.